live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Happy Friday to you. If you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, feel free to give a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And Scalise was out yesterday. Jordan's back in today. He's secured the nomination to become speaker. Uh, will he get the votes? We don't know yet. Uh, I'm... I'm pretty confident that he's really the, the pick. That's what I've been saying the last few days. And um, I think that's really the consensus from the people I've been talking to both on the air and off the air. It seems like that is the is the case. Now, Speaker McCarthy has uh, pledged his support for Congressman Jim Jordan, uh, the chairman of the take two, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee. And uh, he had some comments earlier today. I want you to listen to uh, former Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, if you think, if you think from a GOP perspective, eight Republicans led by Gates work with every single Democrat. That's Swalwell, that's Schiff, that's Omar, uh, that's Tlaib, that's El- to, to bring chaos with the whole concept of being upset because we paid our troops. Our troops got paid today. So McCarthy's now backing Jim Jordan. Uh, while taking shots at Gates and and the others uh, for ousting him. And I'm happy that McCarthy's uh, playing along and that he's, you know, he's willing to vote for whoever the the party puts up, the conference. Uh, I don't know what's uh, uh, ultimately going to happen here. I wish I did. I wish I had a crystal ball. But he says he's supporting Jim Jordan. Now, back to this story, which is... um, Jim Jordan winning the uh, nomination for Speaker of the House. He um, he got 124 votes during the uh, closed door session. It was a secret ballot. Jordan faced uh, contender Tim Scott. Then there was a second secret ballot on which uh, Jim Jordan showed that members would support Jordan 152 to 55, uh, which is far closer than anybody else has gotten. So we're going to see how that continues to uh, to play out. Now, the vote uh, will have to be made on the House floor where members will not be able to vote secretly and will have to say publicly whether they support Jordan or if they're going to oppose him by voting for someone else. As uh, I've stated to you before, and I think you've heard it all over the place, Jordan's really popular. You know, I think every single member that we've brought on has always said something positive about him, uh, whether he was a mentor or helped them a lot when they came into the House. So we're going to see uh, how it goes. I wish um, I wish we had a little bit more info on this. I'm sure there's going to be a few more people that are, A, going to throw their hat in the ring, and B, that are going to stall this for a lot of different reasons. But uh, so far, uh, President Donald Trump is backing Jordan. Uh, the conference chair, Elise Stefanik, is supporting Jordan. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene is supporting Jordan. And Kevin McCarthy, uh, as far as I know, is also supporting Jordan. 
so I, I'm guessing we could count on Matt Gates to support Jordan because I remember he said anybody but McCarthy. So uh, that anybody would likely be Jim Jordan. Uh, the rest of them, I don't know. And uh, I'm, I'm hopeful to find out to see how this uh, progresses and moves forward. Anyway, the House has been without a speaker uh, since McCarthy uh, was taken out. I guess that's what, a week ago, two weeks ago? Uh, I can't. I have time blindness is what they say. <laughs> I never know what happened anymore. Anyway, um, whoever is nominated will not be able to count on a single Democrat vote. Uh, they need to get that 217 Republican votes in order to win. So this is a um, a very, very uh, tight, 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 tight election. And we're going to see how that goes with um, respect to Jim Jordan becoming speaker. Now, um, McCarthy's also saying, but we'll see. I think everybody has the right to run, is what he said uh, to Fox News. And he said, I think Jim's better prepared in the process to be speaker. Uh, Scott, who is a member of the House Intelligence Committee, announced his candidacy for the uh, speakership. And uh, I don't know where that's going. I think the consensus is he's already a part of leadership. And because of that, they want somebody new. So we're going to see how that goes. Of course, there's also some, uh, not quite breaking, but the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, have began, or begun, I should say, their um, their foray into Gaza. And as we have more information on that, I'll bring that to you as well. And there was another story I wanted to touch on tonight. Let me see if I have it right in front of me. Da-da-da. Nope, nope, that's not it. That's not it. But uh, the Israeli conflict and the um, murderous war that was waged on them by Hamas has sparked a lot of support on both sides. You've got some pro-Hamas support all over the place, uh, and you have uh, pro-Israel support all over the place. And one would think that it's not that that evenly divided. I would have thought, you know, I've seen some polls that say I think it's something like 68% of Americans are supporting Israel and and their rights to defend themselves. Yet the media kind of uh, tries to paint this as as there's like five bad guys in Palestine uh, going by the name Hamas and that everybody else is is a good guy. And I'm not saying that they're not, but they make it seem like, you know, this um, retaliation by Israel is somehow wrong. And I can't say that it's wrong because they were attacked, viciously attacked. So they're doing what I think any nation should do to respond to that. If you don't stand up to that stuff, it it spreads like wildfire. So I I don't see why there's, I mean, I know why, but it it just seems to me so illogical that the media, and when I say the media, I don't mean me or anybody else really in talk radio. I'm talking about those on cable news and some of the big networks, why they would try to take a sympathetic approach other than trying to cover, right? Ultimately, it seems like, they're trying to make bad things not seem so bad, if that makes any sense at all. So I don't know. I, I think that they're handling this poorly, like so many things. I mean, this is a conflict that doesn't have to have a, a slant to it. I think you can report the facts and just tell the truth. Right? Hamas went after Israel. Brutal attack. Israel is coming back. And look, they've, they've had days where they're... They've shut off the power. They've shut off water. They're telling people, get out of here. They're trying to evacuate a small area that has a lot of people in it. They're saying, get out. If you're innocent, you need to leave. Egypt is not allowing anybody in. In fact, any none of the other countries neighboring 
uh, are saying, hey, yes, we'll, we'll, we'll welcome you. That There doesn't seem to be that level of support. I don't know why, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, uh, because, of course, I think a lot of people just don't want to be involved. They don't want that problem. They don't want to help anybody because they don't want to be complicit in this. So it's, a, it's an ugly situation, and uh, I'm hopeful that we can avoid lots of casualties that are unnecessary. Of course, I, I'm hopeful that the IDF will get the bad guys as they have been dropping bomb after bomb after bomb in these targeted strikes. But ultimately, uh, I've seen some video, and again, I don't know if it's a recent or, or older video that's just you know making sense now, but uh, of Hamas terrorists with little kids on their laps, little kids in their arms, literally uh, holding them as a human shield. And that is just, again, if it's, if it's accurate information, it's absolutely despicable. That's just not something that you do. So anyway, I want to continue our conversation. I want to talk about the difference between Islam and Islamists, because I think a lot of people uh, have heightened emotion right now, and they're saying, you know, um, religion of peace, huh? Look at what they did. I don't think Hamas is acting in the name of every follower of Islam, right? Hamas is doing what terrorists do, and if they do it in the name of Allah, that's on them. But I, I could never sit here and tell you that I think every every Muslim is a terrorist and that I subscribe to this idea that is in their their holy um, scripture of, of taqiyya or, or anything like that around the idea of jihad. So I want to uh, bring in an expert, Dr. Zudi Jasser, who's going to join us to help us make some sense of that, because I think there's a lot more than meets the eye. So stick around. We're going to get to your calls and more. Plus, um, we have some other topics that we're going to get to in the second and second hour and then again at the bottom of the second hour. Plus, Open Phone America is coming up, too. So don't miss that in hour number three. The phone number again, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Mr. Call Screener, who is a budding radio star, by the way. Richie Valdez is terrific. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. What do you do with Hamas? Hamas was established in 1987 in the midst of the first of what's known as the first Palestinian Intifada. They were established as an opposition to the Palestinian uh, to Fatah and wanted to wage a liberation struggle. From the moment that the Oslo peace process was established. Israel began to besiege the Palestinians in Gaza by creating a perimeter around them. Hamas is a political party. We see them making political decisions as well. They've been portrayed as fanatical terrorists who are out there for primordial lust and, and violence and hate. And yet, Hamas is a political party that has switched its allegiances. We saw them become a governing party and not just a resistance movement following the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. We saw them leaving Syria and moving to Qatar in the midst of the Syrian uprising. They are eligible to be part of a Palestinian unity government, which the Israel and, and the United States have thwarted. That is Noura Arakat. Uh, the Palestinian-American activist that was on MSNBC yesterday saying that Hamas is a political party, not terrorists. 
And she's uh, having that conversation with Katie Turr. Now, I want to get to the bottom of that. And, of course, the fundamental question of uh, the explanation of those that follow Islam and those that are Islamists. And I want to do that with Dr. Zudi Jasser, co-founder of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. And he's also a candidate for Congress in Arizona's 4th District. Dr. Jasser, welcome, sir. Oh, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. So I want to, um, first, I want to get your reaction to what you just heard. Do you agree that Hamas is not a terrorist organization? Uh, Absolutely not. It is by definition a terrorist organization. Hamas in Arabic is uh, the Islamist movement of uh, Islamism, if you will, which Islamism is the belief that uh, the Constitution is the Quran and the interpretation, uh, be it of Sharia law, There is no evidence that any of their clerics have reformed any of the Sharia interpretations that are 12th, 11th century interpretations that call for corporal punishment, that call for misogynistic treatment of women, that their charter cites a so-called passage of the Prophet Muhammad, which I say so-called because some of us reformers believe it is contrived, but it basically says that kill the Jews behind every stone that they may hide. And that's part of their charter. So it is a genocidal document. Uh, They are basically cut from the same cloth as uh, the Nazis, and they are committing a pogrom against the Jews now, as we see, uh, because they're doing it in the name of Islam. They're doing it as a uh, act of religious war. And they're part of a larger movement. It's not just about Hamas in the in Gaza, it's about a global Islamist movement where they've allied themselves with every other Islamic supremacist on the planet, be it the Taliban, be it the Khomeinists of Iran that also govern through draconian theocracy. So they've never seen Islamic theocrats that they don't like, and they work with them arm in arm. Dr. Jasser, it's my contention uh, through life experience. I've met uh, many Muslims and Fantastic people never had an issue. And the stuff that I see on TV is nothing like the people I've known and grew up with. I grew up with Palestinians. I grew up with a lot of people. And um, I feel like oftentimes in the public discourse that we have, especially around topics like this, when they arise in current events, that ultimately people um, just think that, you know, the Muslims are all bad. They're all out to get us. They all believe these draconian uh, doctrines. And and therefore they're they're misled by this information. Um, what do you uh, say to people that just aren't aware? Well, you know, listen, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the comment that you just made, which is that obviously uh, the the people uh, are not necessarily the problem. It's the leadership. It's the interpretation. But at the end of the day, you know, I served in the U.S. Navy for eleven years. I gave back to this country because this country gave me the freedom to practice Islam that no Muslim majority country would ever give me. So as a result, you know, we can't, it's amazing the universities across the country that uh, you see now having demonstrations and other things that are Mm -hmm. beyond simply anti-Semitism, but uh, look at Muslims as if they don't have any moral agency, as if somehow if they're living in an occupation, which never mind is a Hamas occupation, not an Israeli occupation, but if they are living in this prison, so all of a sudden, if you're a prisoner, you lose moral agency, you lose the ability to know right from wrong, and you just become an animal that commits acts of evil against 
against elderly and children. That doesn't make any sense. So right. at the end of the day, Muslims have a responsibility to reform against the theocrats. If you look at every reform movement in history, whether it was in Europe in the, during the Enlightenment, um, there were movements of the laity against the clergy that were doing acts in the name of their religions that were evil. And it's time for Muslims to take ownership of what the Hamases, the Al-Qaeda's, the ISIS's, and the Taliban's of our faith are doing. Yeah, well put. Uh, and I think that th- this is not unique to Islam. I think there's many people uh, throughout history that have, um, I'm going to use the term, prostituted religion uh, to advance their own agenda. And I think this is just another example of that. And uh, lamentably, um, it, it's it's created a uh, uh, a sentiment, I think, w- with many people where they just don't know what to believe. So they they just err on the side of cautions, you know, uh, you know, kill them all, let God sort it out type of thing. And, and I think that's the, the the approach that we're we're seeing with with a lot of people right now. And and uh, that was really why I wanted to have this conversation with you, because I, I don't feel that that's the case. But I do feel like you're saying right. there's a lot of people that are kind of uh caught in this, right? There's a million or two yeah. million people in, in Gaza there that uh, I believe are good people that are suffering under this this uh, genocidal regime, and they have no way out with Egypt uh, not allowing them in or any other country, for that matter, saying, hey, come to us as far as I understand it. Um, w- what do you think is a potential solution for this particular problem? Boy, you know, if you look at the numbers, first of all, you're right. I think a, a majority of Muslims reject the Hamas uh, supremacism and genocidal bigotry against Jews, against the West. Uh, but what numbers are we talking about? Is it a sliver of a minority that are radical? Not necessarily. The Arab awakening showed that the Muslim Brotherhood uh, got 30 to 35 percent of the vote in Egypt initially, and then they won because the other 65 percent of Muslims that were non-theocrats, that were non-supremacists, could not unify into enough uh, uh, large enough parties to win. So they they lost, and in a runoff against the Egyptian fascist military, uh, uh, they they uh, won. So ultimately, the the solution is going to be to basically decimate Hamas number one militarily. And then number two, give them, you know, just like they infiltrate our society with Marxists and and Islamists, we need to infiltrate theirs with liberty-minded reformers. Hang on, Dr. Jasser. We're coming right back, folks. It's Rich Valdez. We're on with Dr. Zudi Jasser, founder of the American Islamic Forum. Coming right back. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... How to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. This is Rich Valdez. 
All right, familia, welcome back. We're having a conversation with Dr. Zudi Jasser. He's the co-founder of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. He's a veteran of the United States military and is explaining to us uh, his thoughts on how we put an end to this whole thing. And something you said, Dr. Jasser, that I thought was um, key was we must decimate Hamas. Let's uh, unpack that a bit. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that uh, as much as uh, Israel and the West get blamed for for being too harsh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, if you look at major conflicts in history, they've typically ended when one side won with overwhelming force and there had to be a surrender. And uh, ultimately, this is the problem with Hamas, is that not only is their entire construct suicidal, where their end of times eschatology is based on suicide and communal suicide. The only way to defeat that mindset is a decimating military defeat. And unfortunately, uh, that has not happened to them. And now they, they recognize 50 years after the Yom Kippur War, they recognize it by committing a slaughter against the Jewish community. And, you know, this is the problem is that uh, we fight wars sometimes with one arm tied behind our back and, and we don't uh, execute them in an appropriate way. As much as we want to avoid that, every humanitarian wants to avoid war. The Jewish state did not declare this war. They were attacked in a surprise attack, which was an intelligence failure, but they ultimately were surprised with that. Uh, I think that the match was lit by the Biden administration sitting in their basement, handing ransom to Iran, uh, turning a blind eye to the distribution of weapons throughout the Middle East from Khomeinis to Hamas and uh, other mechanisms of distribution of Islamist influence. Afghanistan's withdrawal gave Hamas a green light uh, because they basically said, Taliban said, look, we defeated them. We waited them out and America left with their tail between their legs and even lost soldiers to a terror attack as they were running off the, the, the runway in Kabul. It was just embarrassing. And this is the America now that became a paper tiger to the Islamists and basically told Hamas it was their time to not only uh, execute a war, but also tried to create an obstacle in the Abraham Accords that were happening as Saudi Arabia was normalizing relations. So there were a lot of incentives for them to light a match across the Middle East, try to recreate this caliphate of Islamic dominance, because to them, their theology, which never got reformed, is about the world being divided into the land of Islam and the land of war, dotted Islam and dotted Harb in Arabic. And that has never been defeated. And those theocrats need to be defeated internally. And that's what the revolutions were doing. The, the, most strong, the strongest proponents of Israel right now are the women's movements in, in Iran that are saying that the radical Islamists of our government are helping the radical Islamists of Hamas destroy the Palestinian people. That's what they're saying on the streets of Iran right now. Wow. Now, um, I, and I think I agree with that. But I feel like that's a message that's not really out there. Uh, I don't think that, you know, earlier you said this is not an Israeli occupation. It's a Hamas occupation. Um, I feel like this is getting lost in uh, in the legacy media. And and obviously, I think I know why it's (laughs) this is what they do. (laughs) They want to portray the story the way they want to portray it. But ultimately, um, what are your thoughts as to why why they're um, they've become so emboldened? 
uh, the women, the feminists in, in Iran. Um, why is it that they can see it and so many others can't? Because they've been living since 1979 under a regime that hits them with sticks if their skirts are showing their ankles. That tortures them. As of last year, we saw Mesahamini uh, who died because uh, a a religious police uh, uh, saw her hijab. Her hair cover was not on her head correctly. They they have the worst uh, uh, prisons in which people are tortured because they uh, uh, question the regime there, question the Islamic authority of what they were doing. And you know the women have been leading in one of the most potent revolutions since '79. There have been other ones in 2009 and, and uh, in the 90s, but this one really has been the longest lasting and it has really has them on their heels. And that's why Khomeini a couple of weeks ago met with the head of Hamas and said, this is the end of Israel. They wanted to, they see, they saw Saudi Arabia encroaching to Israel. They saw their, their government on its heels. They needed to light the Middle East on fire and uh, create not only a distraction, but start to get the Arab street. Now, I will tell you the hope here is mm-hmm. some of the things, first of all, domestically, we're seeing universities like Harvard, Penn State, and others that used to be so arm in arm with the radical Islamists where the Farrakhan type movements of the BLM, which were anti-Semitic working with the Islamists, now all of a sudden you're seeing trustees of Harvard and others saying, wait a minute, you guys are basically endorsing the killing of Jews. And the far left universities are starting to question that alliance that many of us told them 20 years ago after 9-11 was a was a crazy alliance. It, it's so crazy. I, 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 you know, jokingly, and it's not a funny thing, but I think to myself, they should listen to talk radio. Right. There's a lot of great conversations on talk radio that could really enlighten them. And they seem to be stuck in the ivory tower and they're just so, so lost. So do you, do you feel I, I mean, I, I'm, I have no crystal ball. Doc, but I can tell you that I'm I'm pretty confident that the IDF is going to flatten uh, Gaza and it's not going to be very pretty in a few days. Uh, Do you think that's going to send a message that slows them down or is this going to embolden those that are par for the course with this cause? Well, the people that it's going to embolden will need to be uh, destroyed are the enemies of humanity. This is a battle not a, against it is against an ideology of political Islam, but it's about civilization and versus the uncivilized. And you know, hopefully, the Arab states, especially Egypt, will allow uh, the citizens of Gaza that are not part of the war machinery of Hamas to to come out and and not be uh, victims of this. Uh, Israel has a right to clean out the the uh, machinery of Hamas and the soldiers of Hamas in a war. They're a, a very small state, surrounded by 380 million of Arab states that uh, clearly are part of an ideology that's deeply anti-Semitic, and they have a right to protect themselves. Now, in the longer term, I hope that after that defeat, you start to see, just like in the Arab awakening, I've been calling for this. I've written so many pieces about the need for the Palestinians to have the Arab awakening that the Syrians had against the Assad regime, that the Egyptians had against Mubarak and and uh, ultimately against the Muslim Brotherhood. The Egyptians went to the street 18 months after the Brotherhood ran Egypt because they found, and by the way, three times as many, tens of millions, 
They were talking about demonstrations now for the Palestinians across the Middle East. Mm -hmm. Those were measured, by the way, today in that day of jihad as in the thousands. There were millions in the streets against the Brotherhood in Egypt. And this is the same thing, is that ultimately, yes, it was replaced with a dictatorship, al-Sisi, which was the lesser of evils, but it's still not democracy. But I can tell you it's like treating cancer. The patients will continue to get sicker until ultimately either they pass or they will come back as just like after our civil war, we came back as a stronger nation, closer to our values, et cetera. And this is what needs to happen. We can't build these nations from outside. That's not our role. We right. have to defeat the Al-Qaeda's, the Hamas's, the ISIS's, and Israel does as they come up like a whack-a-mole. But then they have to, we have to help infiltrate the ideas as part of a strategy. We've not had a long-term strategy internally. They have a strategy. China, Russia, Marxists have a strategy to infiltrate our universities, to infiltrate our society with wokeism and Marxism. We don't have a strategy to infiltrate theirs with liberty and reform, and that's really what needs to happen. Amen to that. Folks, we're on with Dr. Zudi Jasser, and he is the co-founder of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. He's running for Congress in Arizona's 4th District, and we're going to learn a little bit about both of those things straight ahead. Our phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. to you rich all the time america at night with rich valdez all right amigos welcome back we're on with dr zudi jasser he's the co-founder of the american islamic forum for democracy he's a former veteran of the united states navy and he is a candidate for congress in arizona's fourth district uh dr zudi jasser how did you get involved in all of this, uh, you know, starting the American Islamic Forum for Democracy? Well, after 9-11, uh, you know, after I had finished my service in 99, uh, joined my father in medical practice here in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and 9-11 uh, happens, and I realized that the uh, dictatorships, the radical Islamists that uh, my family had fled and gotten political asylum for here in America against the Assad regime and all of its cauldron of radicalism there had followed us here. And that ultimately one of my responsibilities as a Muslim living in the lap of freedom was to use the freedoms that I had for not only free speech, but to push back against the ideas, treat the disease rather than the symptoms and treat the cancer rather than, you know, the, the symptoms of terrorism. Uh, these groups are simply a symptom of a deeper condition of a reform that needs to happen. And uh, I dedicated myself to building institutions. Uh, we founded a, co a Muslim reform movement that includes 30, 40 different organizations in Europe, Canada, and the U.S. They're all startups. They're all small organizations. Uh, but they're beginning to create the seeds, plant the seeds for 
institutions that will be based in secular liberal democracy and not based in theocracy, sort of the same thing that Christianity went through in its own uh, reformation uh, through Europe. And that was not a, a bloodless affair. There were, uh, uh, I think, eight, nine million people that died in the Thirty Years' War in in Europe. And ultimately, this is what the West is going to go through, what uh, Islam and the Muslim-majority countries are going to go through. And how did you land on making a decision to run for Congress? Well, you know, listen, I, I realize that activists can do only so much that ultimately you can plant seeds, but the, the agenda for the media, the agenda for cultural um, change is based in Washington. It's based in Congress and, and uh, uh, the agenda of the parties. And I realized during the pandemic, you know, my, my day job is as a physician in primary care. I saw the politicization and the weaponization of the practice of medicine to shut down businesses. I'm in a small business. I, I have tried to fight against Obamacare and socialized medicine and realized all of a sudden the pandemic uh, doctors in their ivory towers were deciding not only to shut down businesses, demanding that government print money and create inflation, demanding that kids stay home even though they weren't victims of uh, uh, of COVID at all. There was no reason that they missed school. I saw my kids home for two years uh, missing the, the socialization and education mm -hmm. system that they should have been a part of. So between that, the the economy, between an open border here in Arizona that I see a sieve that my parents waited to come legally in the asylum, that the, the, the rational legal folks are in the back of the line, and we see fentanyl coming into this country, and radical Islam uh, um, not making any headway in the security arena. I feel that it's sort of the culmination of my work now is to become the antidote to the radicals on the left of Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib that I think are the worst of the representation of our faith community. And uh, it would be nice to have a, a Muslim conservative in Congress that can uh, represent the best of America and, and give back to this country that has given our family so much. Dr. Zudi Jasser, let everybody know that's listening. Uh, we're on uh, on several stations in Arizona. And uh, if anybody out there in Arizona wants to learn more about your campaign or anybody anywhere in the country, um, where do they go and how do they help you? Please go to our website at z4az.com, z-f-o-r-a-z.com. And that's your campaign website where they can learn more about the campaign. Now, if people are interested in the conversation yeah. we've had uh, discussing uh, your views on, on Islam and the work that you do at the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, where do they go for that? The website there is aifdemocracy.org, aifdemocracy, and also the muslimreformmovement.org has other organizations and uh, a coalition there. Fantastic. Well, sir, I wish you Godspeed in your campaign and the work that you're doing. I think it's very important. Uh, you are a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot, and I really appreciate you staying up late to have this conversation with us. Anytime. Thanks, Rich, for having me. Appreciate you it. Bet. God Take bless. Take care. God bless. Folks, there is more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337, 833-482-5337. That's Valdez with an S.
Daddy loving Latino. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Uh, we go to the phones. Let's get you to weigh in. 8334-VALDEZ. Let's go to Rob in Mitchell, South Dakota. K-O-R-N. Rob, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Good evening. Hi, Rich. I hey. called in to uh, ask Mr. Jasser or Dr. Jasser about uh, just to give us kind of a general description about, you know, the dynamic between the leadership of these two sects of Sunni Shia Islam and how he thinks that they can reach them so that they can stop this top down puppeteering of these uh, various terrorist groups. Yeah, great question. Dr. Jasser isn't with us anymore. Uh, but I agree with you that, and it's something he alluded to in the conversation, which was um, the, the problem is the leadership, not so much uh, the, the followers and, and how people at the top kind of um, radicalize in, in the name of doing things as a theocracy as opposed to uh, democracy or anything like that when they get involved in, in government. And, and I can't say that this is a Sunni-Shia uh, type of divide in so much as it is a divide between those that are radicalized, right? So I, it's, I, I would liken it to saying it's not really like the difference between Democrats and Republicans. It's more so like the progressive movement, right? The real radical left, which are willing to embrace a lot of really crazy ideas that uh, really don't support much of what America really stands for. And uh, from what I've gathered, that's that's exactly what he's talking about, those that choose to live by the um, old school draconian, um, you know, ancient interpretations of these things that uh, don't match up with people that are reformed. And, and he went as far as to say early in our conversation that the the interpretations he feels are some of them are contrived because there is debate amongst uh, scholars on the Quran that feel that some of these these um, verses in in their holy scriptures are not even um, provable that, you know, some people feel that they were added after the fact. And of course, this is an age old debate. Uh, but I think it's an excellent question. And I, I wish uh, we would have been able to get to you before um, he left us. But ultimately, I think that's really the, the, the crux of the matter is really how do we get rid of the radicals? And I guess you, you can only get rid of radicals by using daylight as the best disinfectant and really showing the truth. And I think the, the more guys like Dr. Jasser or Brigitte Gabriel and others that um, have the courage to discuss the, the differences and um, are not only courageous, but um, scholarly in their approach to explaining these differences. That's when people ultimately, I think, really understand that it's not Islam that is our enemy, but those that are corrupting Islam in the name of Allah when this is really about their pursuit for raw power. Rob, thank you for your call. I really appreciate it. Big shout out to everybody in South Dakota on K-O-R-N. And we continue our discussions tonight. So don't go anywhere. We're going to talk about what's going on on college campuses. the city that never sleeps. 
17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the Friday night edition of the program. If you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, feel free to do it, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And uh, just a couple of uh, headlines here. The... And I'm getting these from uh, our good buddy, Dan Bongino. He has a great website, the Bongino Report. You got to listen to some of these headlines. Republicans picked Jim Jordan as nominee for House Speaker. Uh, we've also got McCarthy backing Jim Jordan for Speaker. The Israeli Defense Forces have entered Gaza. Uh, America's largest cities are ramping up security as anti-Israel rallies hit the streets. And the congressman who claimed to believe a fire, that fire alarms open doors, <laughs> well, he's facing an ethics complaint. Uh, that's pretty funny stuff. And there's a lot of back and forth on what's going on on college campuses. I was scrolling through Instagram the other day, and I saw this um, this clip of audio. Or you'll hear it as audio. I saw it as a video. And had these guys that were just um, having a very intolerant conversation on a college campus regarding, um, you know, the the debates that are going on all across America. And uh, we have that clip. I want you to listen to this. I want to trust you. I don't hate you. So the point is you won't have a conversation because I'm a Christian. No, I won't believe anything you say because you're a liar. You hate me for the sake of Allah. I hate you for the sake of Allah. All right. I hate you for the sake of Allah. Every Christian, I hate you for the sake of Allah. Any Jew, any Christian, I hate you for the sake of Allah. He hates me for the sake of Allah. You hate me. And I'm a Would you kill me if you get a chance? If we're what, I would chop your head off. All right, I don't know how much of that you could hear because we had to bleep out a lot of the, the curse words, but I can tell you that the, the theme there was I hate you for the sake of Allah, right? And again, uh, we just talked about how not all Muslims are, are hating everybody on the other side uh, that's not a Muslim, but there is a group out there that, that do. And this seems to be the defining point for a lot of people on college campuses, right? One of the most liberal colleges in America, Harvard, uh, has come out. We had um, their president recently, and I think we have that audio too, saying that they would not support the 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 killing of the Jews and whatnot, and um, you know, seemingly changing their position somewhat. Uh, where I think in the past, so many college campuses have embraced anti-Semitism as part of uh, the Marxist leftist agenda that seems to be plaguing American universities for I don't know my entire lifetime. And it's fascinating to me to see this this change. And there's a lot of pro-Hamas support on college campuses, almost as if Hamas is the little guy and we have to stand up for them because, you know, we're standing up for the little guy. And I think this is problematic because we shouldn't be embracing terrorists 
for the sake of 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 standing up for the little guy, right? But I want to get to the bottom of that and a lot more uh, with uh, Jen Cabany. She is the editor at the College Fix. Wonderful, wonderful website. They do some amazing work. Jen Cabany, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. So, you know, you heard that uh, exchange, and that was an interesting exchange, but there's so many exchanges going on college campuses, and there's so much um, reaction coming from college campuses that, honestly, I didn't expect. I really thought they would continue to toe the line and do what they always do and just say, well, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're supporting those that are under the apartheid uh, Israeli occupation, and um, the, the Jews are bullies, and everybody else is a victim. And I think here, because of social media, because you know, the legacy media really couldn't turn around and say, no, 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 even though they are, I think they're backtracking in some ways. Uh, but for the most part, I think people are seeing what really happened, the beheading of babies and whatnot. And w- when you get to something that's so atrocious, I think most people really just can't defend it. And uh, maybe I'm just being altruistic here, but do you think that there's we're witnessing a change on college campuses or is that just lip service to, um, you know, to, to, to weather the storm? Well, what we reported on, we have a big top story today about campus after campus with large groups of students celebrating, cheering the brutal killings and murders of innocent Israeli lives. They marched from, you know, Gaza to the sea, you know, Palestine will be free, an infantata. They yelled, they pushed a professor holding an Israeli flag. They, a, a girl at Columbia was physically assaulted. You have a, a student at tears at the University of Washington because she's telling the administrator, they want to kill me. They're saying they want me dead. You know, it, it, this, the massive protests we've seen um, that, that have exposed anti-Israel hate these young people celebrating these brutal murders has really shown America the rot in higher education today. Um, it's, it's unexcusable that they could celebrate this. They, don't, they didn't have any sort of like moment of vigil or, wow, that's really awful. I mean, they were literally cheering them on. Now, this, I think, is uh, reprehensible. And, of course, free speech, right? Do what you want to do. Uh, there's a lot of crazy free speech out there. But it, it seemed to be institutionalized, and it still is, in, I guess, in, in my opinion. What do, do you, um, I guess, so you're of the opinion that there are things that are changing a little bit, but not a lot, and this is probably just a flash in the pan? Well, let me say, I agree with free speech, too, and they can chant whatever they want, but it just shows you where their hearts and minds are. You yeah. know, I'm just saying that they can't even have a moment of, wow, that was really, really horrific and awful. No, they they're celebrating it and supporting it. The um, campuses across the country held rallies in solidarity with Hamas, essentially to, on, on on Thursday. And so I'm just it exposes the rot in higher education. You know, we've been listening to 10 years of microaggressions, right? You can't ask a person where they're from. You know, you can't say America is a land of opportunity. And yet, you know, Jewish students and Israeli students have to hear that they should be dead. Right. I mean, there just seems to be a disconnect here. Well, I agree with you. Uh, I, I just I, I'm looking at this and I, I see the students are out of control. Right. I feel like the students are out of control. They're embracing uh, everything that's bad uh, with this situation. 
But I've seen a number of uh, professors or administrators kind of coming forward saying, no, we, we don't support this and we're not going to support students that are doing that. And and I was kind of taken aback by it. I, I really thought that they'd be in lockstep with so many of the students. And I just found that to be surprising. D- do you think that that's genuine or do you think that's just them trying to play um, both sides of the same coin? Genuine people that are, are honestly horrified. But we, we reported on a lot of professors. There was a teach-in at UCLA uh, where they had two radical uh, pro-Palestinian uh, professors doing an emergency teach-in to defend what happened. One professor at UCLA canceled a class so her students could t- attend. Another student offered, or another professor offered extra credit if the students attended. Uh, we, there we, re- we reported on a, um, a professor at Princeton, who was like, "Yes, I'm so happy. My heart is cheering after the after the deaths of 1,100 Israelis, and now you know now there's a petition that she should be fired. I mean, again, free speech, absolutely. But what we are seeing, you know, really such a radical side um, and such an evil side mm-hmm. that uh, has has infested and embedded itself in in higher education. Now, I'm always one to say no. There's there's a lot of good people in higher education. There's a lot of good professors. There's a lot of good teachers, but one apple can spoil the whole bunch, as they say. And unfortunately, there's just a lot of, uh, you know, the, the radical scholars like to use their campuses as a battleground for the hearts and minds of these young people. And what we saw with all the protests nationwide on Thursday, supporting and cheering what happened, kind of gives you an inkling of how successful they've been. Yeah, it's really, um, it's it's remarkable. And, and I think it's telling Right, telling in a very scary way when when you see that these young people seem to be, uh, in my opinion, lacking compassion, along with logic and common sense in many ways. Uh, folks, we're on with Jen Cavani. She's the editor of The College Fix. Check them out at thecollegefix.com. And straight ahead, I want to get into a piece that you guys have up on how professors are championing Palestinian decolonization after this Um after this, you know, atrocious attack. So, Jen Cavani, stick with us. We're coming right back with you. And, folks, if you have a question or you want to join this conversation, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Night with Rich Valdez. Those are pro-Hamas college protesters at George Mason University yesterday uh, chanting, they've got tanks, we've got hang gliders, glory to the resistance fighters. And I've got to tell you, pretty uh, interesting stuff. This isn't like the Vietnam protests where it was about, you know, stopping the war. This is about 
supporting the people that are waging the war. That's just crazy to me. Uh, folks, we are on with Jen Cabany. She's the founder of The College Fix. Uh, Jennifer Cabany, what do you, excuse me, the editor at The College Fix, tell me um, how much of this are you seeing? Are you seeing a lot of this? It seems to me like it's happening all over the place, these uh, pro-Hamas rallies. Yeah, most major college campuses on Thursday held it. It was organized by a group called Students for Justice in Palestine, and they rallied all of their campus chapters to go out and, and show force um, in a big way on Thursday, and they did. Uh, we've I, That was one of many chants that we've heard, um, all of which kind of celebrate the uh, you know the, the evil that was perpetrated on innocent civilians. And with no with no apparent regard for the humanity, um, and and sort sort of like what the you know the death toll. It's horrible. Now you've got a really good piece here. Uh, professors champion Palestinian decolonization after Hamas terror. Um, walk us through this one. Well, essentially, uh, the you probably heard of the term critical race theory. Sure. So, so this is kind of a like a fancy academic jargony way of saying, you know, Israel shouldn't exist, right? I mean, that's essentially what they're saying is they need you need to decolonize Israel, aka give it give it to give it over to the Palestinians, let them take over the area, the land, the region that is considered by some, you know, rightfully theirs. I mean, this is you know, this is a debate that goes back. Two millennia, right? So I don't know if we're going to have any any solutions right now. I mean, they've been fighting over this land for for you know for so long. But you know, with the academics, they like to you know tie things up in, in neat little you know phrases. And you know, decolonization is a very fancy word that's used to basically chide white supremacy, allegedly, and you know, Western civilization, evil things. And so that's how they phrase essentially the demise of Israel. And uh, I'm looking at part of the article here. It talks about um, Texas Tech University professor Jairo Funes Flores and uh, putting a tweet out on earlier in the month saying that attacks that decolonization is not a metaphor. It's about a free Palestine. And uh, it, it's interesting that this is even, I mean, I'm always amazed at the things that they talk about. He specializes in decolonial theory and activist right. research. <laughs> and yeah. I, I, I just, I, I got to laugh at these things because, you know, I mean, the, the only thing I'd ever heard even remotely close to that, that uh, I ever subscribed to was um, the uh, Rush Limbaugh Institute for Conservative Studies, right? And that was on talk radio. Yep. Uh, but this right. stuff right here is, is, is straight up crazy. And if it was on talk radio, I'd love it. I think it's funny for the guys on the left. But this is a real thing, and this is what they're really teaching. Um, how, um, I don't know, I, how is this justifiable? And I, I mean, I know I'm, um, I'm grasping at straws here, but it, it just, it shocks me that people really want to study these things. Yeah, and I mean, we're segueing into the argument of this is your tax dollars. This is your tuition dollars. This is what your child or yourself is going into debt to pay for. Because all these college campuses nationwide have required added you know, mandates for graduation that students have to take one, two, three, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion 
classes to graduate, and they're 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 spoon fed this crap, this these theories, these radical theories, these progressive secular theories, and you know the death by a thousand cuts. You know, students over time start to believe it. So it's very insidious in a way, and it's it, we should not take this lightly. Now, you know, I again. I say there's a lot of good professors doing a lot of good things, but but there is a concerted effort to use our college campuses as a way to indoctrinate young people to, to think a certain way about the world. And one of the biggest topics is what's, you know, the boycott, divest, sanction movement was huge for many, many years. Um, oh, yeah. Everybody wanted to, you know, don't send anything to Israel, don't support anything to Israel. But now in the last week, Boy, they've showed their true side, right, with, with the support of this uh, horrendous, uh, inexcusable attack on civilians. And so I think it might be a wake-up call. Um, you know, we've been at the college fix. We sound the alarm every day. But I, I think there's such hypocrisy, too. I mean, if you think about it, we saw a lot of marches where, like, the LGBTQ uh, folks were marching alongside the pro-Palestinian folks. But let's be honest, any any gay person in the Middle East, they would probably be executed, right? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, a, there's some sort of disconnect here uh, between the reality of the situation. It's almost like they're lemmings just, you know, wanting to get out and chant and, and be angry about something. And this is the latest thing, but there are a lot of true believers that this is their war and um, this is their time to fight it. Uh, I, I don't know. I have a feeling I could be wrong, but I'm, I'm kind of concerned. This is just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, Jen Cavani, let everybody know how they can uh, keep up to speed with everything that you guys are doing at the College Fix. So we have the College Fix, F-I-X dot com. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter slash X, whatever you want to call it. We're even on TikTok. Um, you know, we cover anti-Semitism, but we're also covering cancel culture, free speech issues, due process, academic freedom, intellectual diversity, and every other problem you hear about, <laughs> all the culture wars going on on college campuses. Uh, we're there to let you know, sound the alarm, be the canary in the coal mine, and it never a dull moment. You can sign up for our biweekly newsletter or follow us on social media. How do they follow you? What's your handle? Uh, so at College Fix is... Uh, basically on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, I'm Jennifer Cabani. Fantastic. Well, I want to thank you for being here. You are a gentlewoman, a scholar, and a patriot. Keep up the great work, and I appreciate you staying up late to have this chat with us. Anytime. Thanks for having me. You bet. All right, folks, there is more to come straight ahead. We're going to talk about human relationships. Yes, those. (laughs) More after this. I'm Rich Valdez. just an amazing show. I know you've worked so hard in the industry and nobody deserves it more than you do. So I'm happy to see you really succeeding here. It's awesome. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And we continue our discussion this evening. If you want to join the conversation, 833-482-5337 is the phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the intertwining of intimacy and spiritual expansion. And 
I didn't understand quite what that was, but I love the idea that it's approaching interpersonal human relationships from a different uh, perspective that interweaves these different concepts. Because ultimately, whether it's politics, business, or anything else, we're always dealing with relationships, right? It's people. It's people that we know. It's people that we trust. It's people that we love. And if we're doing anything, we're doing it with people. And I think it's important for us to be able to interface with one another in, in that way. And it's kind of my mantra in life is, you know, this is why I, I love talking to people that I disagree with because I, I learn and uh, I also understand a new and different perspective, which is not always easy for me, but <laughs> but I, I'm always willing to, to hear more about things and understanding how to work with people and learn about uh, understanding people on every level. Um, ultimately, I think is, is a very important thing. So I want to welcome our guest. Um, she's the author of a, a new book and several bestsellers. And she's with us now, Dr. Elizabeth Mowat. Welcome. Thank you so much, Rich. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you. Likewise. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping we could start with um, what the human relationship mastery movement is. Oh, wow. Let's delve right into this. So uh, the human, it's really about relationship. Just what you already alluded to is that we always are in coordination, in contact, in communication with others, because that's how we create whatever shows up in the world. And so then the question is, you know, how aware am I of myself Am I like a bull in the china shop? I'm unaware. And particularly more in the subtle places. And um, what, for example, shows up in, you know, beloved relationships. But what we are talking about is not only for beloved relationships, it's for any relationship. So I want to just tap right into the indicators or distinctions that we have developed, my husband and I, we have an institute in Chicago called the Tentranova Institute, and um, we support couples and singles in creating fulfillment in life, love, and intimacy. So there are key distinctions that we bring that go beyond what we you know, commonly know in mm-hmm. like the Western world. Although we combine wisdoms of the Eastern traditions and Tantra, which is the yoga of the energetic body, unlike Hava Yoga, that is the yoga of the physical body that we know in the West. So we look at the dimensions of energy in the human body and we can listen from those places. Um, and then we, of course, also draw on Western Uh, technology in terms of human development, of generative language, and so forth. So we integrate this. This is why we call ourselves Tantra Nova, the new Tantra, combining the ancient way and uh, the modern way. And so um, when we speak about the intertwining of the intimate and the spiritual has to do with that each of us has different dimensions from which we interact 
with others. And we identify four dimensions. So the first dimension is the physical one, you know, which also includes the sexual. And when energy shows up in the physical body, we talk about sensations. You know, I feel hot, I feel cold, I have a knot in my stomach, I'm aroused. These are sensations. The second uh, way how energy shows up is in the emotional state. So we can locate this in around the heart center, where we feel love, where we feel joy, where we feel connection, perhaps also distance, disconnect, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and so emotions are pure energy. We cannot touch them. We cannot see them. But my, do they have us? You're probably familiar right, you with that. You definitely feel them. Yes. And when... Have you ever experienced being so angry that you couldn't help yourself and you want to throw something or I usually hit throw or things, yes. You usually throw things. <laughs> or I find a good wall that doesn't have a hole in it yet. Yes, yes. Even if we don't take action towards it, it actually, but the, the energy that is behind us, uh, behind that, that has us so much. So that is... Um, Another way that we want to listen more keenly to, because the energy I am affects others and it affects what results I can produce or not. The third dimension is the mental one, the state of thoughts. Thoughts are pure energy. We cannot see them, we cannot touch them, but again, these recurring conversations or, you know, obsessives thinking and narratives. Um, of course, it also can be the other way around. When I just imagine, when I just think of, you know, a good deed someone did to me and my whole body lights up, lights up. So, um, and the fourth one is our spiritual self that we can locate, you know, at the top of the head and above the head. And that's the connection with the higher self, with the beyond, with the divine, with the eternal. And we all are, you know, earthly beings and spiritual, heavenly beings. And we really move back and forth. And so in our practice, when we work with people, is that we uh, teach them how to connect and become integrated within themselves first. Because if I'm not connected with myself, if I'm not integrated in myself, you know, how can I connect with another? Right. I mean, the last thing what I want to do when I'm angry is connect with my husband intimately. It's the last thing. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I just want to jump into two things that, that I want to ask you about, because I, I feel like <clears throat> There are certain things that are fundamental in, in all relationships, like I said, whether it's business, politics, or your significant other. Um, and I think there there's uh, trust and uh, intimacy, right? I think you have to trust people. And when you trust people, you, you don't suspect the worst of them, so you're able to respond the right way. And I think um, and intimacy has varied levels. I don't mean it in a, in a romantic way, but I mean in a, a truly intimate connection that you might have with someone with whether, you know, it be uh, someone that you, is your significant other or not. 
it's it's interesting though you you mentioned uh tantra and i don't know much about that tantric yoga and all of that but um is that anything like the kama sutra or are those two different worlds um the kama sutra is a very particular uh technique or way of connecting uh, between two beloveds. Um, Tantra that, is I knew that much, part. I know it's a book of a yeah? lot of interesting things. I just, it, it, I, I didn't know if there was a similarity yes. between the two. Yes, it comes from the same tradition. However, Tantra is much far, uh, far more reaching um, because it is really about what I described earlier, the interconnection of our physical, sexual self with our emotional, our mental, and our spiritual self. Because, again, that is when we are integrated, we feel coherent, we feel whole. When I am compartmentalized, you know, disconnected between my head and my heart, if I'm too much in my head, not connected with my heart, what you mentioned a little earlier was creating trust and intimacy is actually not possible because people do not trust us from the head. We trust each other from the heart. That is where the connection is built. Now, I'm not saying to throw the head out with the bathwater. You know, they want to be in balance. That's the whole point. So that my mind, my conscious you know, rational mind is in balance with my heart, my emotional self, my love self. And if that is disconnected, like, you know, let's say someone got disappointed when they were five years old, the dad didn't come home. And usually the the dad came home and played with the boy. And then from that moment on, that five-year-old, feels like, oh, my dad doesn't love me, doesn't Mm. love me anymore. And because this is how it feels. And then closes off their heart. It can happen at five years old. For others, it happens at 12 years old or 18 or 25. And ultimately, I was just going to say, ultimately that type of, of impact or trauma or whatever it is could last into the rest of their life if they don't address it and could impact every relationship, professional, personal, and otherwise. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I just want I mean, to remind had... the audience of, of who we're talking with. Uh, we're on with Dr. Elspeth Mowat. Uh, she's the founder of the Human Relationship Mastery Movement, and uh, we're going to discuss that. And I also want to get into a little bit of um, your... Um, your work on tapping into vulnerability to access your bliss and, and uh, some of the other things that you um, have really explored in some of your writing. If, if you don't mind, stick with me. Uh, we're going to take a quick pause right here for a commercial break, and we're going to come right back. Folks, the phone number if you want to ask a question. I think this stuff is fascinating. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
Rich Valdez, who again will do a fine job, and I know you'll enjoy listening to him. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, Familia, we're talking about relationships and the the mastery of said relationships with Dr. Elsbeth Mowat. And she is the founder of the Human Relationship Mastery Movement, uh, best-selling author of a number of books. And one of the topics that she uh, talks about is the how you can tap into vulnerability to access your bliss. And I think this is something that benefits people that are married, people that are dating, people that are in all sorts of different relationships, uh, because I feel like there's a lot of people that have vulnerability that serves as an obstacle to them achieving success or or bliss in general. Uh, Dr. Moet, tell us a little bit about how people can go about tapping into vulnerability to access their bliss. Yeah. Well, that's a biggie. Uh, Rich, because feeling vulnerable is usually not something we want to feel. Right. So we try to avoid it, and we start with that very early on, again, that goes back into childhood. And um, on the other hand, where we experience bliss was in our childhood, be it like as infants or Uh, as a child, as a young child, as an older child. And then usually that bliss got subdued or, you know, something happened, as I mentioned earlier in the conversation, that the dad didn't come home and the five-year-old decides that he's no longer loved by his father or... Uh, you know, like for me, it was when I was 18 years old that um, first boyfriend, uh, first love, beautiful, blissful relationship. And then he asked me to have intercourse and I was not ready and it was very painful. I had to go to the gynecologist and the bill went to my house. My dad opened it. All hell broke loose. He called me a whore. The boyfriend left a few weeks later and there I was. And that was the shift for me with, for one thing, I, you know, decided that, look, Elspeth, men are just not there for you when you really need them. And that is what was so then. However, that trailed me into my adult life. And just as you said earlier, unless we look at it, unless we clear it, that really colors every relationship, every experience we have. And so what I mean by vulnerability is actually to be willing to revisit that, be that in a conscious way, more often it actually happens by accessing the subconscious because the memories usually live there. And and that is where we can actually, through the clearing of that, what may have been most painful, what has hurt so much that we try to avoid. And instead of avoiding, I always say, let's, get, let's go towards it. It's like going through the eye of the needle. Because if I don't go through the eye of the needle, there is no other side. 
you know. So mm-hmm. clearing this from my memory, not that we forget it, but that the pain no longer has us. And so we use the vulnerable places as an access that leads us to bliss. Wow, that's a deep concept. Uh, folks, we're on with Dr. Elsbeth Mowat. She is uh, the founder of the Human Relationship Mastery Movement, and this is a global initiative that she's created to transform human relationships into co-creative, thriving partnerships. And uh, in one way or another, I think we have to do this on a daily basis. Dr. Mowat, uh, stick with us. We're going to come back, and uh, you could let everybody know how they could learn more about the movement and how they could keep up to speed with the work you're doing. And, of course, Open Phone America is starting at the top of the hour, so if you want to get your calls in, now is a good time. First-time callers go to the first of the of the line. And if you disagree with me, you get even ahead of them. 833-4825-337-8334 Valdez. We return with Dr. Elspeth Mowat. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, familia, we're on with Dr. Elsbeth Mowat. She is the founder of the Human Relationship Mastery Movement. And Dr. Mowat, for everybody who's interested in the extensive work you've done on intimacy and relationships, how do, how do they find out more about the the programs that you offer? Oh, thank you so much. The easiest way to find out more and reach me is through tantranova.com, T-A-N-T-R-A-N-O-V-A, tantranova, like supernova, tantranova.com. And there is our book on sexual enlightenment. There is the book on human relationship mastery. There are courses. There's all kinds of stuff where you can learn further. And, of course, our YouTube channel, Tantra Nova. So I look forward to be of service. Outstanding. Now, I have one question for you. It's a little um, offbeat. But is the accent that I'm hearing, is that like uh, Irish or Puerto Rican? Where? <laughs> it's German, which... It's, it's lovely. It really is. German. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Uh, you bet. You, you, you've been fantastic, doctor. Thank you for joining us tonight. I hope you'll join us again in the future. Take care. I'd love to. Thank you. Have a good evening. Folks, we're coming right back with Open Phone America. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez 
America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the program. If you want to join us, give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And it's Friday night. We're letting our hair down. We're always talking about different things on this program. And, uh, of course, you, you, you've heard the news that Jim Jordan has uh, secured the nomination to run for speaker uh, just like Steve Scalise did a few days ago. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that that doesn't change, but we'll see how it plays out and if he can uh, ultimately get the 217 uh, votes that are required for him to become speaker. Uh, this is a, a tall order in in recent history. We've seen it's, it's not easy at all, uh, but I think if anybody's equal to the task, it's Jim Jordan. So we're going to see what goes on there. Of course, he's got the support of former Speaker McCarthy and... Uh, a uh, number of members in his conference actually having the largest um, secret ballot vote uh, to date. <clears throat> so it seems like uh, the momentum is in his his favor, but we'll see how it goes on. I think this is anybody's game at this point uh, in terms of not that anybody could win. I think he's got the best shot at winning, uh, but people who want things can likely um, slow things down so that they can try to negotiate for those things. So we're going to keep that uh, monitored as things develop. Now, there's a number of other things I want to talk about. Of course, we have been bringing you everything as it's unfolding to um, keep you up to speed on what's going on in Gaza and Israel and all of the, the crazy that comes with that. Uh, but tons of uh, protesters are out there uh, since the 8th of this month. It's been about a week now. Uh, all over the place. People are all over the place with respect to this um, supporting Israel, supporting Hamas, uh, others standing up for Palestinians. And it, there's no shortage of, um, of protests and rallies. And there's a, a clip of audio that um, we heard earlier. Again, just lots of chanting. Listen to this. Glory to the martyrs! Glory to the martyrs! Do you know what he's saying when we say, we will liberate the land. There you go. We will liberate the land by any means necessary. We will liberate the land. By any means necessary. Yeah, uh, they're, they're all over. I mean, they're all over. And, and again, I just, uh, I'm having a tough time getting my hands around. You can be on any side of an issue. Uh, everybody's free to do that. But an issue like this one, really, you know, where you're going to sidestep the fact that they did this surprise attack on 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 the Israelis, uh, in particular because they're Jews and part of what Hamas believes is that Israel should not exist. And uh, those that sponsor Hamas, like uh, the Islamic Republic of Iran, open their parliamentary sessions with uh, chants and and um, a vociferous call to um, call us the great Satan and the little Satan for Israel, and uh, calling for death to America, death to Israel. When, when you have that kind of um, energy coming at you, uh, how do you really, you know, you can't reason with people like that. And the fact that they, you know, they killed over a thousand people and the most egregious of it is the elderly, the, the, the children, the, the babies that were burnt alive and, and decapitated and, and just slaughtered. 
it's just remarkable to me. A while back, uh, about yesterday, day before maybe, I saw this clip of audio of one of these rallies in Philadelphia. And it, it was so shocking. I'm not going to get into it just yet because uh, we might have that clip of audio ready in a little bit. So I'll, I'll hold on to that. But I want to get your thoughts on the protests, the support for Hamas, the support for terrorism in the name of going against what some would say is a battle over land or over other differences. Uh, I don't think we can really boil this down to something simple. Uh, Nobody should really support those things. And I'll say that till I'm blue in the face, but I want your thoughts. Give me a call. 833-482-5337. Let's go to Myrtle beach, South Carolina, WRNN and check in with Al. Al, what's up, man? You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hey, Rich. Thanks for taking the call. Yeah, yes, I'm, just, I'm just wondering why why we're breeding these uh, ignorant mushrooms in colleges like um, Harvard. Ridiculous. And then, you, you know, you, like you watch all these uh, protests. These people don't even know what they're talking about, and they're so emotional over it. And um, I think you're it's right. really scary because these people are here. And, um I'm just waiting for the violent mushrooms to come out. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, when you when you hear this clip of audio, I can tell you that uh, while they're not calling for violence uh, at many of these things, they their their thinking is is kind of violent. And again, I'm not going to police their speech. If they want to think violent things, that's on them. But um, earlier we heard it. We had a clip of uh, two college students having a debate about this. And uh, the one person says, look, I will hate you for the sake of Allah. And I don't think that represents all Muslims, but the, definitely the the bunch that are radicalized that believe that loving their God somehow means they have to hate the Jews or other infidels, uh, I think is a, is a flawed view, at least from uh, Dr. Zudi Jasser, who was with us earlier today, explaining that there are, you know, uh, a majority of Muslims that just don't subscribe to this belief. And I think it's it's absolute crazy. And we, it's something we need to talk about and discuss and, and understand and address because as we move forward in life, and we're always going to move forward, unless you're dropping dead tomorrow, you got to live tomorrow. you got to live the next day. you got to live next week, next month, next year. And if we don't head in the right direction as we move into the future and we bring these crazy ideas with us uh, or don't stop this evil in its tracks right now, it will only come back to bite us in the rear end. At least that that's my thought, my opinion on that. Um, what are you seeing in, in South Carolina? Have you seen any big major protests in your neck of the woods, Al? No, not, not here. Um, Lucky but you. These, these radical wackos are here. They're in the country. We, we, there's over, what, two million gotaways. They don't necessarily have to be from uh, the, uh, you know, the third world, but they are from the third world, and they're just here to do us bad. I'm just waiting for something, you know, waiting for the other shoe to drop. Uh, you know, it's sad, but I agree with you. You know, for a long time, I've said, I've said this before, I argue with family members of mine that say, no, 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 you don't understand, there's sleeper cells all over the place. And uh, when it was just, you know, these um, men that were short in stature that were coming here with women and children, and of course some of them were smuggling these children for the sake of trafficking them and free labor and whatnot. But for the most part, I, I felt like a lot of these uh, individuals, at least from Central and South America, were coming here for a better opportunity. And I believe that to be right. 
Uh, however, I think most people think that everybody coming across the border is here for the American dream. But lamentably, that's just not the case. There are people that are in this country that are here for the sake of of hurting us. Like you said, there's the Godaways. There are people that are, you know, this is business for them and has nothing to do with pursuing the American dream, but it has to do with men from other continents and from other parts of the world coming in. And these are young, physically fit men that some say middle mil, military aged, excuse me, or, um, you know, um, maybe, um, secret, uh, sleeper cells that are here to do something a little bit later. So when you say you're waiting for the other shoe to drop, uh, sadly that may actually happen. And I, I just find it remarkable that this is all happening at the hands of, uh, somebody I like to call Joe El Baboso Biden, who does a great job pretending to be asleep. He does a great job pretending he doesn't know what's going on. But uh, I think ultimately, at the end of the day, he knows exactly what's going on. And this is part of the plan, is to just keep pushing the envelope as far as he can. So uh, I agree with you there, Al. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. And folks, we're going to get to the rest of your calls from Idaho, Alabama, and more as they trickle in right now. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez with you. Uh, straight till 1 a.m., keeping you company uh, most of the night. And uh, I want to continue with um, your conversations, your thoughts and opinions on all of the news of the day. Let us, uh, let's see, where do we go? We've got Erie, Pennsylvania, Boise, Idaho, Dothan, Alabama, Farmdale, Ohio. Cool. Uh, let's go to Boise, Idaho, which is next in line. KBOI, check in with our buddy Paul. Hey, Paul. Hi, Rich. Thanks for hey. taking my call. Um, my pleasure. What, I, what, I, what I've heard today basically is a lot of First First Amendment freedom of speech with a malignancy on it. There's a, there's a lack of truth to it, and um, I'm, I'm saddened by it. Uh, I, I'm a firm believer in the, the Constitution of the United States of America and the, the, the amendments that we have to the Constitution, but um, we have uh, Holocaust Holocaust deniers and and people that uh, were actually cheering the demise of the Jewish people, the civilians and non-combatants, and uh, basically just peaceful, loving people. They got slaughtered, and there's there's people cheering that. And uh, 
you know, it's, it's been all my life. I've studied the Holocaust. I know a lot about it, a lot more than most people. They didn't teach it in school, but I learned on my own. And uh, it saddens me today that they would even imply that it never even happened. And that if it did, they're sorry they didn't get them all. And uh, I, I say that with disgust when I say it. And it, like I say, it saddens me. Yeah, listen, it's, it's definitely a saddening thing. Uh, Paul, do, do you feel that it's a flaw in the First Amendment or a flaw in one's character to exercise their First Amendment that way? It's a flaw in their character. Yeah, they, they I think we, we have to be They're free, ignorant. right? Well, you know, I think that's generous. I think a lot of people do know better, and they um, they just don't care. They, they want to be on on that side of the issue. And it, it's definitely not a good thing, right? I mean, I, I, I want people to say what they feel. You know, there's a lot of things I don't like. Like this professor that we talked about a few months ago, or a few a few weeks ago, excuse me, uh, who was saying things like, look, if you're, if you're 12 years old and you want to have sex with somebody in their 20s, you know, who are we to stop you? Who are we to put in this arbitrary age of accountability at 18, or age of majority, legal age? And and I think that's crazy. Now, he has the right to say that, and they took some action against him, probably not enough. But my point is, um, I think the problem is him. The problem is not his ability to say these things. I, I think that's ultimately the, the hallmark of free speech is that we can say things that are crazy or offend others. Um, and, and that's how you keep speech free. But I'm with you that there are so many people that uh, unwittingly buy into these things because it sounds like the right thing to do. And they throw on these terms like, you know, um, the Israeli occupation or the um, uh, apartheid state that people are being forced to live in. And again, I think that's all debatable. Uh, I don't agree with those statements, but I, I think it's it's horrific when somebody will, you know, applaud and salute uh, what Hamas did. And, you know, the or the audio we played earlier, this young man said, I, I will slit your throat for the sake of Allah. If you're a Jew, if you're a Christian, I, uh, I hate you for the sake of Allah. I think uh, you're right. This person's either ignorant uh, or so filled with hate by however they've been misled that they believe these things to be true. And it really is sad. I think, you know, you saying that you're saddened by this is accurate, right? Some of us get angry at it. Some of us get sad. I think you can't get angry without first being hurt. And it's hurtful to hear that we're having conversations about an entire people group that way. So I think you're spot on there, Paul. And I want to thank you for your call. Big shout out to Boise, Idaho, K-B-O-I. Um, great call. Let us continue to Dothan, Alabama, WBCF, check in with Sandra. Hey, Sandra, you're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hey, I've got, I've got two questions for you. The first one is um, Matt Gates spearheaded this up to get McCarthy out. What was the point to this, and others voted with him to take him out, if they didn't have anybody lined up to take McCarthy's place? I, I don't think the Republicans know how to play the game like the Democrats do. That's my first question. I want your opinion on that. And then the second one is, didn't Hamas, uh, they're in the government in Palestine. The Palestinians voted them in their government. And I look around, it happened there, and it's happening here. I think we've been infiltrated in our government. 
by AOC and her squad. And uh, we got that uh, guy in uh, Colorado. Um, I think he's a, a representative said the other day that uh, he didn't have a problem with Hamas. I think our government has been infiltrated by the same type of people. And I think that we as Americans need to take a look around and say this could happen in this country exactly what's happening over there. And That's I an want your opinion point. on that. Well, thank you, Sandra. I appreciate that. And let me tell you, I think you're you're, you're spot on here. So to address the first point, uh, last Friday we had Congressman Matt Gates on the program, and he explained his whole position. And what what uh, what I gathered from what he said was that he didn't want McCarthy from the beginning, but agreed to vote for him if they could agree to these conditions. And the conditions had to do with no single, um, su- um, only single subject legislation. So no omnibus spending bills uh, where you throw everything in and lump it together, or even these these packages of bills that are not even interrelated in many ways, where they'll just throw some sort of spending on X, Y, and Z pork barrel spending into a, a bill, uh, the way Washington has always worked. And he was railing against spending uh, and his uh, disdain for McCarthy. Now, the deal that he made and McCarthy agreed to was if you do uh, include more spending than, than we agree on, or if you violate this other um, part of the deal with you know adding too many things to a, a particular uh, piece of legislation, then he would exercise the motion to vacate, which previously was five members agreeing to file this motion to vacate to fire the speaker. And that happened. Uh, So now that he had the power as one member of Congress, he did, but he was joined by seven others. So ultimately it was eight. They would have still met the old rule anyway for McCarthy not keeping his end of the deal. Now, of course, my, my concern was the timing of it was very bad. We just had entered a continuing resolution through November for uh, funding the government and this problem hadn't been resolved so that was that part of it the other part of it is you're right we've been infiltrated there is definitely a marxist leftist movement alive and well in our government and you're right americans need to look around and pay attention and take inventory and be informed patriots like reagan called us to be that's the only way it's going to work sandra thanks for your call big shout out to wbcf dothan alabama I am Rich Valdez. We're coming right back with the rest of your calls and more. Don't move a muscle. Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 5337 8334 valdez That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. And I've been uh, discussing this uh, clip of audio that I'd heard that was, um, again, I don't want to say shocking, but I'm definitely going to say disappointing, but not surprising from uh, some activists in Philly who were having a rally on the street to celebrate Hamas. And um, we had to bleep it out, but it's ready for you to hear. And 
I got to tell you, it's, it's two back-to-back clips. I don't know if you split them up into two pieces, but the first part of it is uh, a gentleman that is just nothing gentle about this guy. This guy's just calling for a salute to Hamas for doing what they did. Listen to this. To Hamas for a job well done. When they woke up in the morning and they found and they found the field hands in the house with a knife ready to cut their throat. I was late to the news, but when I heard it, I smiled. I don't want to hear that 250, 250 innocent Israelis are dead. Again, I swear, I salute Hamas. A job well done. Well, there you go. He says he salutes Hamas on a job well done. They slit the throats of 250, what he refers to as, I'm adding, so-called innocents. And this is pure hatred, right? This is pure evil, right? In the face saying, you know, this is a good thing that they slit the throats of these people, that they killed these people. And again, the numbers are much higher than 250. Uh, this was on the 8th, uh, so um, a week ago, six days ago. I got to tell you, I hear that and I think to myself, when have you ever heard me say anything like that? Like, or anybody that that is a conservative uh, America first liberty loving person ever call for the the death or destruction of of any human being? It's just to me, it's unacceptable. Uh, Again, he has a right to free speech. I have a right to mine. But you look at that and you think, man, we've really gone off the deep end here, in my opinion. Let's go to the phones. Let's go to Columbia, South Carolina, WRNN. Moses, you're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Mr. Rich, Mr. Valdez, how you doing? Wonderful. Thank you. Good. I will, first of all, I want to compliment you because um, I, you took over uh, Todd Schnitz's uh, position. Okay, we have him here in Columbia. Uh, he he would come on from ten until one. I know and he was pretty the Schnitt show. Okay. Good guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I got old saying, "Oh Schnitt." Okay, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> either way, either way, I want to compliment you because, like I said, not, not only that, uh, uh, right here in Columbia, we have uh, 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 Kevin Cohen. Okay, not familiar, and he. Uh, well, either way, I appreciate the platform that he has provided here in Columbia, mm-hmm. a local guy. And uh, I appreciate the platform that he has provided for all, everybody from all walks of life and this and that. And da, da, da. So it kind of resembles me of you. And I, had no, I haven't had the opportunity yet to just listen to your show straight out. I, I, so far, I've been getting just bits and pieces. But from what I come up with, it seemed, you seem to be pretty reasonable, okay? Um, and because, um, man, look, here, uh, uh, one of the things that's wrong with this world, everybody's crazy. Everybody's gone crazy. All right. <laughs> and uh, but my thing here to get to the to, to, to the topic and the subject mm-hmm. of the matter is, hey, listen, let's let, let's talk about Egypt and, and, and God delivering uh, the uh, uh, Israelites from the hands of uh, 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 Pharaoh. OK. No. Um, yeah. Uh, listen, the thing is, from that point, the Israelites has never they've been always disobedient to God. Every How so? step of the way. 
Uh, well, just listen. I'm going I'm to I'm try to bring it to you uh, because I know I have, my time is limited. Okay, the first thing, okay, uh, 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 they, they, they died at Moses, okay, uh, and God came and opened up the Red Sea, right? All right, that that passed. All right. Uh, now you said how so? Now I don't. I really have to be careful as for how I choose what I say. But I'm just trying to lead you up to uh, where it is today. Uh, the thing is, the second thing, when Moses went to Mount Zion to, uh, um, to 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 establish the Ten Commandments from God, okay. Once again, the Israelites turned their back on God because they got tired of waiting. So they decided they were going to create their own God through a golden calf. Okay, that's just that. We're moving forward. We're moving, moving right, right forward on the part. Up, trying to come up to date. Jesus Christ. Okay, the Israelites handed Jesus Christ over to Pilate. Okay, with 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 for some gold. And when 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 Judas realized what he had did, what, what did he do? He goes and commits suicide. All the way up through to this day right here, the Israelites have been disobedient to God and always compromised with Satan, okay? And now, uh, you, this is where you're going to disagree with me at. The problem here that we have to this day right here is nobody likes America. Everybody hates Israel because of the influence that America have over Israel. Now I want to ask you a question, okay? Um, uh, uh, Israel, Israel. Uh, I don't know this for sure, but this is my conclusion that I come up with. Israel is supposed to be the gateway to uh, 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 the, uh, uh, to the Middle East for the United States. Is that right or wrong? I wouldn't say the gateway, but I would say they're our ally. But get to your question so I could give you my response. Okay, okay, that was the question. Okay, but all I'm trying to say here is, man, look, we we, we need to understand, and people need to have understand how far away that we have gone away from God, and how we look at our children, our kids don't even want to believe nothing about God because of how we've been misled to believe what people want us to believe, so that they could be in control, and while they're in control, okay, they're doing everything they want to do. Outside of what God said, do let me address the first couple of points because uh, I, I think you're you're onto something towards the end there. Uh, from the beginning, I, I wouldn't say that uh, the the Israelites, upon leaving Egypt uh, when they fled Egypt, that they were being disobedient to God uh, outright as as a collective. Right? I think the example that we have there is Moses being obedient to God and leading his people to the land of milk and honey. So now, while the reference for me, you know, the, the, if we look at it like a parable, is that there's always going to, there's free will. And with the free will comes the, the notion that we're going to make wrong choices because we're flawed human beings. Now, there's, in every aspect of life, there's always going to be someone that follows the example and follows the obedience. Like in this uh, particular instance, Moses is obedient and it takes them forever. And they, they're looking for, they're taking this trek that is uh, supposedly a very short trip, uh, but ends up becoming a, a 40 year journey because again, 
there was things that they needed to learn. And because of the disobedience you're talking about and the golden calf and the, the false idols and all of that, uh, that's there. And, and I think that's, that's consistent throughout. It happens still today in every religion. Um, so I won't disagree that there was not, um, disobedience and that we as flawed humans naturally rebel against the things that are, we're probably supposed to do because that is in effect our sinful human nature. However, um, when you say things like everybody hates Israel because of American influence and everybody hates America, I, I don't know that I could even agree with those statements. I think this show and, and the 5 million, almost 6 million people that listen to the show, um, they're quite in love with America, right? They're, uh, they love the idea of liberty. They love the idea of American exceptionalism. And I think there are people, uh, mainly those that have been influenced by the teachings of Marx and, and other, um, I'm going to call them philosophers of the left, they've bought into this idea that, you know, the imperialist Yankees are the bad guys and that we're out there imposing our will on everybody. And while that may be true in certain instances and in certain times in history, by and large, there isn't a freer place with more opportunity, or at least historically there hasn't been, uh, than the United States. So I, I feel like this is um, the best shot that we've got at the American experiment, and it's right here in America. Uh, I think there's plenty of people that love this country. Now, with respect to our children uh, turning away from God, uh, I would say that that same leftist Marxist movement that's alive and well in unions and college campuses and in many aspects of our government is alive and well in so many parts of the culture, in Hollywood, in the media. There's just a, a bent and a bias towards that type of thinking, which typically is not America first. It's typically uh, uh, one of disdain towards America and and everything we stand for. There are, there are people that have made it from rags to riches in this country, yet there are still people that will just only look at life through the rearview mirror and say, but what about the time that we had this? Or what about that? Or what about and looking at the darkest parts of our history instead of looking at the brightest parts of our future? And I think these are just matters of perspective for me. You know, my, my, my dad came to New York City when, in 1955 from Puerto Rico. He was a young man. He was still a teenager, 18 years old. And uh, he tried to make a life for himself and support his family. And, and we lived in New York City until we moved to New Jersey. And uh, I, I learned watching him uh, about life in general. And again, my parents weren't immigrants per se. Puerto Rico's, you know, an American territory. So we're all born U.S. citizens. But I can tell you that we definitely had that type of influence where, you know, we had the, the culture from, from Puerto Rico and uh, the cuisine and the way we grew up. And when I look at that and I think I, I've done okay for myself, my siblings have done okay for themselves. We learned a lot of really valuable lessons, but all of that was available to us because of the opportunity that's in this country, the uh, ability for us to be able to say, you know what, we grew up not in the projects, but extremely poor but because we could hold on to our faith, because we held on to our family, because we stuck to our guns on what we believed, we were able to succeed. And that's not just true for me. That's true for many. And it's still true today, even though it's more difficult than it has been in the past. So I think the, the, the stuff that you're talking about, um, you know, and I don't want to conflate the two issues, the, the theological issue that you brought up 
uh, versus the um, the opinion that you shared with me about the United States and Israel. I, I think these are just opinions, just like I'm sharing my opinion with you. And, and ultimately, I feel that there is an unfair rap that Israel gets. There's an unfair rap that the United States gets. And some some of it may be fair. Um, when people say, well, why do we have bases everywhere? Why are we involved in other people's wars? Well, the reason for that is, is again, philosophical, right? If, if we don't have control somewhere, we'll lose control everywhere. And it's not just about control, but it's about safety and it's about doing the right thing. Now, do we always do the right thing? No. If I'm saying we right now, we're doing the wrong thing. We're allowing people to slaughter each other in Ukraine and Russia. We're allowing people to slaughter each other in in um, Israel and uh, because of the what Hamas has done. So all of that being said, I think there's a lack of leadership right now in our country, and we're seeing it uh, the, the repercussions of that globally. And does that have to do with disobedience to God? I'm pretty sure it does. Uh, is it a punishment? I think we're all looking at people being punished. But ultimately, it's not because of their sinful ways. It's because of the way that the dynamic has worked out. Uh, I don't think that God is punishing Israel. I think that the lack of leadership in Washington is exacerbating a very bad situation globally. Thank you for your call, Moses. I appreciate it. And thanks for your kind words. Folks, more to come straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. So in New York City, uh, Councilwoman Ina Vernikov, uh, she's a Ukrainian, by the way, she um, went to a pro-Hamas rally uh, sh- shooting a social media video saying that if you are supporting these people, you're nothing short of a terrorist without a bomb, um, claiming that Hamas are terrorists, which I agree. Uh, however... They viewed, um, some of the passers-by viewed that she was armed with a handgun in, in her waist and called the police, and she was arrested after turning herself in. And again, she turned herself into the police, both her and her firearm, and which she's licensed to possess, and her permit license were surrendered to the police. Uh, The NYPD added, at no point in time was anyone menaced or injured as a result of her possessing the firearm at the protest. Now, I completely understand why anybody would want to have a a, a firearm in New York City. And I think everyone should, in my opinion, Uh, because right now it's only the bad guys that have them. The cops, when they can get to you, will have them. But you're on your own until then. And we just saw that um, left-wing activist that was stabbed to death in front of his girlfriend after a wedding in Brooklyn, New York. And um, Councilwoman Vernikov represents New York. Anyway, bottom line is uh, they're saying that she can't carry um, in New York. And again, as a result of the Supreme Court decision that came down, I think, last June, 
New York has taken a lot of extraordinary measures that are likely extra constitutional, unconstitutional in saying where one can uh, carry a firearm, which I think will eventually get overturned because that was literally the, the letter and spirit of that decision. But that is the case. So we're going to invite her on the program and to get her side of it if she's uh, available to join us. But I want to get your thoughts on this. Let's go to uh, Raymond, Farmdale, Ohio, listening online, Rich Valdez, com. Go right ahead, Raymond. Hi, how are you doing? Good, thank you. Go right ahead. Uh, yeah. I'm so glad I called because uh, you've lifted my spirit up um, about New Yorkers. And I'm just uh-huh. a country boy that raced horses in New York and seen the changes and I was a member of Rolling Thunder Chapter 4. We was in charge of the Pentagon parking lot uh, in 2002 after ni- the 9-11. Yeah. And what are your thoughts on the and, councilwoman uh, carrying her gun? What's that? What are your thoughts on I'm, Councilwoman Vernikov carrying a gun? I'm a NRA life member, 1964, my paper out money. I'm on the Legislative Institute. I'd love to talk with her and and I believe New Yorkers should have the right to protect themselves. And I know you're in a city. I know you're in a city with a bunch of tight people. I want to read something here real fast. And they went at noon, but Ben Haddad was drinking himself drunk in the pavilions, and he and the Kings, the thirty and two Kings, that helped him. That's Kings twenty sixteen. Well, thank you for sharing that, Raymond. I appreciate it. Um, I agree that uh, people should be able to carry guns. That's literally the law of the land, and anybody getting in the way should uh, get out of the way, and hopefully we'll get there through another Supreme Court case. I appreciate the call. Big shout-out to you for listening, and thanks for your kind words. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, to the phones we go. Let's swing over to Montana, Kalispell, Montana. K-O-F-I is the radio station. Let's check in with Lance. Go right ahead. Good evening, sir. Thank you very much. Two words, Georgia Guidestones. This is the Ten Commandments of the global elitists, and it is the foundation of everything that you see going on around you right now. Secondly, Everybody that is supporting Palestine and Hamas, you better read their charter. Dire warning. Um, you are considered what is what they label the great Satan. Yep, they label the United States the great Satan. And uh, lamentably, uh, they're going to find out if they keep messing around. Folks, thank you, Lance, for your call. America, thank you. What a great night. I never take Uh, you for granted. I love the audience. I love the program. Take care. Good night. God bless. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, I'm Rich Valdez. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.